How's everyone this morning? It's a little cool this morning, wasn't it? <laughs> I just woke the senses up, didn't it? <laughs> Some that we didn't want woke. <laughs> like, oh, this bed is warm. Praise the Lord. We'll go ahead and get started if you're ready, brother. All right. Thank you all for being here this morning. Let's open with prayer. Father, we give you praise, glory, and honor. We thank you for this day, the opportunity to be in the house of God with the people of God. Thank you, Lord. We don't take it lightly that we have our abilities to be here, Father. Thank you for all that you do. You woke us up this morning. Give us breath and life, Lord, and our abilities to think and and to move and to speak and to be in this house with you, Lord. We pray now, Father, that your anointing fall in this house. Each and every facet of this service, let it be to glory and edify the name of Jesus. For the Bible says, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. Father, help us as the children of God do such that such thing. Enemy of ours, I give you notice by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and in his precious and holy name, the name above all name, Jesus, I command you to leave, to flee, and to not return in Jesus' name. Father, I hide myself behind the cross, Lord. I empty myself of me, Lord. Let my words be your words. Let my thoughts be your thoughts. Let nothing come from this vessel except what you have for us today. Let the hearers of this word, let this word take root in their heart and grow. And let it come back and forth and, and to you, Lord, as you said, not it will not come back void. We claim that in the name of Jesus. It will come back to you un, as, as valid and um, edifying the name of God. Father, help us to be the men and women of God we're called to be in this hour. The army of God that we're called to be at such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today, um, if you want to put a title with the service, I, I put, You Are the Temple of God. So many times we can't understand how that we can live this life and do the things that we are called to do and be the people that we're called to be, even just to live a righteous life a holy life, to try to choose the right things. It's because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which was given to us from God, it covers a mass of things for us. Thank God the blood has covered us, and the Holy Spirit guides and leads us into all truth. So, But I was reading Proverbs 14 and 11. I'm just going to read this verse because this is where this sermon was birthed. And I'm an old country girl, and I lived vacation time. For me, it was on the lake. We didn't go out and explore the world, maybe Florida. I went as far as Florida with my family. But we lived, we'd go out and camp, and we camped in tents. There were no hotels. We were right there on the water, on the dirt, in the ground, <laughs> on tents. And when you read this verse in uh, the New King James Version, it actually has the word tent, but I'll read it in both. It says, Proverbs 14 11, The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the temple or the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. Uh, New King James says, But the tent of the upright shall flourish. And that kind of caught my eye when it talked about the tent because 
here we are Christians sojourning on this in this wilderness this the earth as we call it our life and we're going through and we're just going through you know year after year and day after day and phase after phase of our Christian lives and our natural lives and sometimes I feel like I'm just living in a tent literally <laughs> living in a tent every day is a new adventure in my tent <laughs> where am I going to be what am I going to be doing and not that that's a bad thing but sometimes we look at it as a bad thing, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. So I want to just kind of dissect that, that scripture for a moment. Notice that the house of the wicked shall be overthrown. Notice they have some solitary. They have a building. Uh, they have a building, a dwelling, a structure that they're in. But it shall be overthrown. And if you look that up. In the Hebrew, which this was originally written in, it says, put an end to the existence by damaging or attacking it, ruin emotionally or spiritually. That's what overthrown means in this scripture. The house of the wicked. So they have this false hope, but there's no hope at all. There's nothing there. But notice that the tabernacle or the tent, which is also a dwelling, but it's a portable dwelling, um, let you know that, hey, baby, this is not your home. <laughs> you, you've got, you're going on to something better. It's, it also is the sacred tent used in worship of God. It was, if you go to Exodus, it's the tent of meeting, they would call it. Or one, one verse said the tent of Moses, or the, yeah, tabernacle of Moses. It's where Moses, by God's instruction in Exodus, built a dwelling place for his spirit, his presence to be among the people as they sojourned in the wilderness. And that is so, that so reflects how we live right now. We live, this, is, this place, this earth is not our eternal home. Uh, we have a home with Christ and with God in heaven, and then eventually there will be the new Jerusalem. We will be back on earth with God. Again, everything is with God, so our home is not, you know, not complete unless we're with God eternally. But this dwelling place, this tabernacle, and so I started researching what it was about the tent of meeting is what they called it, and they called it that because that is where Moses would go in and actually talk face-to-face with God, meet God. He would come in and meet God. And so the tabernacle, and I'm not going to read all the extensions of how it was built and, and because it's like three or four chapters in Exodus, but the tabernacle had three sections. And it's so, it's, it's just so similar to uh, your Christian, to you as, as a Christian and as a human. There was the outer court, there was the holy place, and there was the holy of holies where God's presence was. And the outer court was where they sacrificed. This is where the priests did their work, the sin sacrifices. They had two pieces of equipment or furniture, as they call it there, and that represented, uh, and that represents what we are doing today. The outer court lot, if you research it, a lot of people says that is your flesh. That is your your flesh. It's and there's the place for sacrifice and a place for cleansing. In the outer court, it's great when you think about these things. But they would bring the animals in. The priest would sacrifice them on the altar, and then the priest would go to the uh, 
the washing uh, bow, they ha it's a laver of washing. It was made of, uh, actually made of bronze. And they actually took the women, their mirrors in that day. Now, it didn't have glass like we have now, but it was, it was copper and it was bronze and it was beat out until it was shiny so you could see your reflection. So when they're in there washing their hands and their feet after sacrificing, they're actually seeing a reflection of themselves. And it so speaks about uh, the Word of God and how we are to look into the Word of God and look into that mirror and that we should be reflecting the Word of God. But so the outer court was, uh, they considered it like your body. This is, you know, Romans 12 and, and 1. It says uh, to... Uh, Put yourself, let me just read it now because I'm not going to be able to quote it quite exactly. Romans 12 and 1. So we're looking at the altar. And I went to Romans 1. Hang on. We're thinking about the altar. The outer court is, is what we're looking at as your body. And Romans 12 and 1, it talks about Christian living. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The whole outer court is the whole thing. We are constantly, every day, sacrificing our, our bodies, our, our will, our, our desires, our needs. We're, we are constantly dying a death of a Christian. Not a physical death, but a spiritual death. You're putting yourself behind. Jesus said, deny self, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's a constant day, so we're de definitely we're sacrificing all this self, this stuff that we inherited from Adam, a sin, and we're going through. Now you've already been forgiven. Don't don't get that mistaken. This is this is a choice you're making. You're making the choice to be holy as I am holy, to live righteous as I've called you to be righteous. And you go to the basin, and you're washing your hands, and you're washing your feet, and you are. Um, Looking in the mirror and and looking, and if you go to Ephesians 5 and 26, you're washing in what they're calling, what we would call the Word, the Word of God. 5 and 26, Ephesians 5 and 26. And this is, and the Christ, they're, they're, Paul's writing to the Ephesians, and he's talking about a husband's loving your wife, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So there's your scriptures. You should be in God's word daily, drawing from it. You should be washing, taking it out and looking and applying it to your own self your own decisions, your own thoughts. Is this, you know, biblically sound thinking that I have? This is the renewing of the mind that it, Romans 12 talked about, renewing of the mind. So you're being washed. So the basin kind of reflects that. And it's got the reflection in it. They said they actually took the mirrors from the priest's wives, their mirrors, and made this actual basin outside the outer court of the temple. And... Um, so that it was very reflective. They could see themselves in there. So I thought that was great because we are supposed to reflect the word. 
God. We're supposed to reflect the life that Jesus died and lived and died for us to have. So that was the outer court, and all this was encased because it was temporary in curtains, as they call it, or, you know, and this is they would enter in through the curtain, and there's the, the altar for sacrifice and the basin, the water basin for the priest to cleanse because they were taking now what has been sacrificed through a curtain into the next room or to the next court. They called it the holy place, the holy place. And this, if you read, reflects the soul of man. And there were only three pieces of furniture in that particular room. And we'll talk about all three of them. The first one we're going to talk about is the golden lampstand. Exodus 25 talks about this. It was made and fashioned after an almond tree. So it would come up and it would have three branches up. And they were to put oil you know, olive oil, pure olive oil there. And it was to burn constantly. There was no other light within this room other than the lampstand, the golden lampstand. And so I thought of two things when I read about it. I thought about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That, to me, reflects Jesus. Now, this is just my revelation of what God has showed me and how he wanted me to teach it today. Um, everything though in in the temple in this tabernacle this tent can is reflective of Christ and what he did for us everything but John 8 and 12 Jesus says this about himself he says then spake Jesus again unto them saying I am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life he is the light of life. It's, it's, it's wonderful when you think about it. Um, Matthew 5 and 14, Jesus says that the church, that we, as the, as the Sermon on the Mount, or after the Sermon on the Mount, he says that we are a city set on the hill. He says, you are the light of the world, verse 14 of Matthew 5. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You are called to be the light. You are called to be the light. There was John, you know. John, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, this is the light of the world. You know, this is the man. He brings light to men. He's the sacrifice, the lamb. But, and I also got to thinking about the candlestick, and it was just, it's not just light, but there is fire on that. And to me, that was a significant of the Holy Spirit. And we go to Acts 2, and we hear and we read chapter 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance to go up above one verse. It says, and they appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them the day of Pentecost, as we call it. So we've got the, the golden lampstand. And then we've got the next piece of furniture was the golden table with the showbread. And it was actually called the bread of presence. The bread of presence. And every once, once a week, they would make fresh bread. They would bring 12 in, which represented each tribes. They'd stack them up in two stacks, six in each. And they would sit there in the presence of God. Until 
the priests come in, and I'll just say, you know, like on a Sunday, they would come in and they would sit down and they would share that meal in the presence of God with each other in God's presence as the priest. Who is the bread of life? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. If you go back to the Last Supper, he says, this is my body, I, I break it for you. This is the bread, I break it. This is the new covenant. Eat of my body. I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. It's so amazing when you start thinking about that. Go to John 6, and I'll read that. John 6 and 35. And this is what Jesus says about himself. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And this wasn't even, you know, the Last Supper. He was just talking to the ones that didn't believe in him. And they were like, he's like, I am that bread of life. I am the bread of life. It was the bread of presence. When you take it in, it lives within you and, and, and nourishes you and keeps you for what is needed. So the last piece of furniture in the uh, holy place where the priests would go was the golden altar of incense. And it was right before the uh, curtain, before the holies of holies. So it was the last thing that you would do before you walked into the holies of holies. And the golden altar of incense, they always thought... Um, was the prayers, the prayers. And there was a special mixture of incense that they put on there. There were certain spices that they put on there. And, and today they still can't find the exact formula because some of, the, you know, some of it got lost once Jerusalem was destroyed. But um, the Bible has the exact formula, but they can't find the exact species, I think, of these, uh, some of these uh, incense, some of these, uh, like, it's like myrrh, uh, frankincense, and some special uh, spices that, and God told him, said, this is just for this altar. No one else is supposed to make, it's like, it's like sweet-smelling perfume is what the Bible calls it. Such a sweet savor. And to me, when you talk about prayer, uh, it's communication with God. We are to be communicating with God. This is, this is the part of our soul that is important. It's, the soul is the essence of a human being. It's like your emotions, yourself. This is how you stay centered. You eat the word of God. You let the Spirit of God dwell within you. The, uh, the fire, the Holy Spirit burn within you. And you have constant communication through uh, prayer. Prayer is one of them. Prayer is just not always asking for something. Prayer is just communing with God. It's laying there and telling him what you think, how you feel. And interceding for other people. There's so Prayer is so much more. The Bible says that we are to... Uh, can continually pray continually. Well, you can't be in a closet all day praying, but you can talk to God constantly all day long. I'll just be sitting at my desk and something hit my mind and I'll just start talking to God about it. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's myself, sometimes it's things that's going on. God's, you know, showing something I've read. I'm like, God, I need direction in that. I need some understanding. But it's constant communication. Jesus gave us direction in Matthew 6, 5 through 8. We are not to pray 
like the hypocrites, out loud for everyone to see. But you go to your father in secret. It's a private thing. It's a relational thing. There's a lot of things that I say to my husband that you all don't hear. Because we have relationship. We have a marriage. We have communication that is not privy for everyone to hear. About our lives, about our children, about our jobs, about whatever it may be. That is private conversation. And we should have that with the Father. There's nothing he doesn't know. Sometimes he just wants to hear you say it. Have you ever had your kids do something? You know they did it. And you go and ask them about it. And they won't lie about it. And you just look at them and say, if you just tell me the truth, you'll feel much better. That's the way it is with God. He's like, I already know. You're no surprise to me. That's not going to throw me off. That's going to make me not stop loving you. Let's just talk about it. Let me lead and guide you through what, we're, what you're going through. Let me show you what to do. This is communicating in relationship with God. Uh, pray without ceasing. As scripture is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And then we are to come boldly before the throne of God. Hebrews 4 and 16. Do you know why we can do that? Because we have the blood of the lamb on our lives. It's awesome. It's the blood of the lamb. It's because his Holy Spirit dwells within me because I am his temple. I am his tent. I'm just traveling around every day carrying the temple of God in me, in me because I have the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, his Holy Spirit. It's awesome. So you go through the last veil. And if you remember the last curtain or veil, you remember when Christ gave up his life, the veil was ripped from top to bottom. And this wasn't no little curtain. The sucker was this thick. And it was strong. Very layers over layers. But it ripped from top to bottom, signifying that through Christ Jesus, we have access to the holies of holies. In Moses' time in the Old Testament, only the high priest was allowed to go in there and once a year. And all he did was go in and he took the incense and the coals off the altar of incense. And he took the blood of the bull and the goat for the remissions of sins of the priest and the, uh, and the people of God, the Israelites. And he would walk in with those incense in front of him because the presence of God hung out there. He couldn't even see him without dying. So the smoke from the incense prevented him from actually seeing the face of God. According to their custom that you would die. And he would walk in and he would sprinkle the blood on the articles of furniture that was in there. And that is the mercy seat and the ark of the covenant. And then he would back out. Now, if he had sinned in his life and he died, they would tie a cord on their feet and bells on the bottom. If they heard those bells go off in a, in a manner that was you know, not accustomed to walking, then they knew he had died in the presence of God and they would pull him out. They couldn't even go in and get him. They would pull him out by those ropes that were tied to his feet. That's how serious it was. It could cost you your life. But because of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, we have access to the holies of holies. That's why in Hebrews 4 and 16, it says you can come boldly before the throne room of God. The throne, it calls it the throne of grace. Grace. 
as Pastor said, there's some, there's some blood on that grace. There was some blood lost for that grace, the throne room of grace. So into the holies of holies we go, and we represent the holies of holies as the spirit. And I struggled with that because I, I really thought it would be the other way around, but I had a revelation. It says it's your relationship to God. The Spirit is the holies of holies. That's where the Spirit of God dwelt. Your soul will go back to God. But who you served on this earth, what spirit you served on this earth, is going to make a difference to where your soul ends up. So there are only two pieces of furniture in that room. They were connected together. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And the golden mercy seat that sat on top with the two cherubs. I think it's interesting in our cultures today. When you see cherubs, you think of those sweet little babies. Angels, wings, naked ones. Uh-uh. Research it. They are scary looking dudes. They are mighty. Mighty. Actually, they were the ones that guarded uh, Edom. When Adam was kicked out, they guarded Edom to keep him from coming back. They are mighty, mighty angels of God. But they have two down, wings down. And that is where the presence of God would sit. And in the Ark of the Covenant were three things. It was a visual, visual symbol of God's presence and his promise and his commitment to his people. There were three things inside. There was the tablets of the commandment, which is... Uh, righteousness, how to live a righteous life that God gave Moses. We call them the Ten Commandments. There was a jar of manna from the wilderness traveling, which showed God's provision even in the wilderness. Um, there was Aaron's budded rod when they went to pick the priestly uh, um, group or the priestly tribe. It was whoever's rod budded. And Aaron's rod budded, even though it wasn't connected to anything else. But that shows righteousness, provision, and that shows a destiny for us. That we are chosen. Chosen priests. A royal priesthood. Chosen people. Royal priesthood. And it's awesome to think that the Spirit of God dwells within me. On the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the lid. They put it on the top. It was made of, overlaid with gold. And I told you about that. It, that is actually where God' presence would sit and speak to man. Or at that time, it was Moses. Hebrews 9 and uh, the whole chapter. My time is short. I'm not going to be able to read all of it, but go back and read it. And it talks about how Christ was the perfect sacrifice for all sin. We don't have to sacrifice the goats and the bulls anymore we don't have to do those things in the physical nature because christ died on the cross he was the ultimate uh, he was the ultimate sacrifice so that he said i come to fulfill the law that's what he meant it was this ultimate sacrifice 
if 11 through 14, we'll just read it real quick. It says, so Christ, and this is New Living Translation, so Christ has now come, now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever forever and under the old system the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers could cleanse people's body from ceremonial impurities but just think how much more the blood of jesus will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living god for by the power of the eternal spirit being the holy spirit Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And this is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Isn't that awesome? It's just awesome. It is awesome. Galatians 2 and 20. You have, as a child of God, as, a, um, as one who has accepted Christ, however you want to word it, and asked him to come into your life and be your Lord, not just your Savior, but be your Lord. I know we all struggle with that part, but he, he is, that is what he is. He's our Lord and Savior. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me so i live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me that's the new living translation of paul talking to the galatians letting them know that christ came to his spirit came and and to live with him john 14 and 23 says that you know those who do the will of the father obey my laws uh, the father and i will come and make our abode in him it's just awesome to think that the great, the creator of everything dwells within us. And we so struggle with, are we able to do this? Or, you know, can I actually do this? Let me tell you, child of God, you have all that power within you. You have all the ability to do that. The only reason why you don't is because you listen to the lies of the devil that you're not able. But as I told you last week, you are more than enough. You are enough. So 2 Corinthians 5. Just read that whole chapter. It's just so good. When I was talking about the tent, it says, For we know that we, uh, that when this earthly tent, talking about our bodies, we live in, it's taken down. This is when we die and leave this earthly body. We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our presence bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothes for we will put on heavenly bodies when we, uh, we will not be spirits without bodies. We will live in these earthly bodies and we groan and we sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clove us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared for us this, 
And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says that we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for we will be at home with the Lord. We are just soldiering. We are just soldiering through this. Just living in our tents every day. Sometimes we have to pull up stakes and, and keep going. But here we are. And I want to read verse, uh, verse 8. Yes. Um, we are soldiering through Christ. 1 Corinthians. Go back one more. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. And I'll, I promise to be quiet after this. 6 and 19. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You are the temple of God. I know sometimes you feel like you're just sojourning from one spot to another and you just feel like you don't know where you belong. There was a time in my relationship with God I didn't even feel comfortable anywhere but here in this church. I told Pastor, I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just don't feel happy anywhere but here. But it's okay. I just grab my tent and I just keep going for the next day. And I take the presence of God with me. So you are more than enough because you are the temple of God. And all that power and all that authority and that forgiveness and everything. The ability to do sacrifices, whatever you need to do. To live this holy life, God has equipped you to do it. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. Father, we give you praise, glory, and honor. And we thank you for this day, for this word of encouragement and empowering us, Lord, to know that we are your temple. And where we go, you go. We are never without you. We are never alone. And we are never without the ability to do what you have called us to do. And we thank you, Father. Thank you for all that you did, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.